American Social History Podcasts are a production of the American Social History Project, Center for Media and Learning at the City University of New York Graduate Center. I appreciate the invitation to be here tonight. I'm Stan Deaton from the Georgia Historical Society in Savannah. I've had the pleasure of working there for 13 years. Um, we are a public history institution, first and foremost, and we see ourselves as bridging the gap between the academy and the lay public, which we'd like to think is interested in history, although um, sometimes willfully ignorant about things. And I use the, the word willfully um, on purpose, particularly given the topic of what we're talking here tonight. Um, and I could talk about many different things um, that, that you brought up that we deal with as a public history institution in a place like Savannah, in a state like Georgia, in the Deep South, um, and particularly as we go forward in what we're calling the Civil War 150, which we got away from calling it the sesquicentennial because it sounded like a skin cancer. <laughs> and the Civil War 150, as someone pointed out, sounds more like a NASCAR race, and people <laughs> like that a little bit better. Um, but so many different ways to tackle this subject that we deal with this. This is, as you might imagine, kind of a, a white issue with us all the time. I have the pleasure of working with uh, our president at the Georgia Historical Society is really um, quite a progressive thinker about this. He grew up in Richmond. His name is Todd Gross. He grew up in Richmond and was steeped in the lost cause, as many people in Virginia and across the South, and I'm learning across this country, were. But he read deeply and thought deeply about the Civil War and um, the issues at stake there. And he has really been the guiding force behind what we as an institution are trying to do in the Civil War 150. One of the things, to just jump right in, that we have stopped doing as an institution is using terms like Union, the Federal Army, the South, North. It's as if somehow the United States broke up into March Madness and they put brackets up and there were just a bunch of teams playing each other. It was South Carolina played Minnesota. It was the war between the states, all this stuff. No, it was an insurrection, first and foremost. The Union Army was the United States Army. Confederacy is not to be confused with Southern because not all Southerners supported the Confederacy. So right from the get-go, we determined that the way we talked about this war was going to change. And we were not only going to say these sort of things in our public programs, but, and I'll talk a little bit more about this, and I only have 12 minutes. Um, our signature thing that we're doing for this commemoration, being a public history program, we have had scholarly seminars, we have had NEH programs, but the thing we're doing that we see as our legacy project is a marker, historical marker project, because we're in charge of the state's historical marker program. So, in these markers, we don't use terms like South when we mean Confederacy. We don't use Union. We don't use Federal. Uh, I had a guy in Savannah who, ref who re refuses to use the term United States Army when he talks about it. He always talks about the Federal Army. He's a Vietnam veteran, so I asked him one time if he fought for the Federal Army in Vietnam. Uh, it really, you know, a lot of people, when you stand and you look at it on that ground, it looks a lot different when you realize what we're talking about here. We talk about this as an insurrection, that the lawful and rightful governments of the South were overthrown for a time, and the president sent a, not an invading army, but he was trying to uphold the laws of the United States. 
uh, against people who refuse to abide by the results of a peaceful election. Now, all of that sounds sort of, you know, okay, well, that's what it was, but you wouldn't believe, as Gary can attest, I'm sure, to a lot of the pushback you get from people who, as I said, are just willfully ignorant. When you do not live in an evidence-based world, <laughs> no amount of reading secession documents to people, a declaration of causes such as Georgia passed to explain uh, why they seceded, no amount of pointing people toward the evidence on the ground in 1860 and 61 can convince them that it was in fact a war to preserve and extend slavery. It's as if they themselves have something really personal involved in that decision, that they were not there, they could not have affected it in any way, but somehow it's a slander on them to say that this is a war about slavery. So one of the markers that we put up is in Milledgeville, which is where the state capital was in Georgia in 1861, about the secession convention. We unveiled it on the 150th anniversary of that day, and it says quite plainly, they seceded because of slavery. This was apparently the first time anything like this had happened in Georgia. We put up a marker in Dalton, Georgia, about the place where black troops first saw combat as United States soldiers, and we invited former Ambassador Andrew Young to be our keynote speaker. He came. There were hundreds of people there. One of the things we've really tried to do is to get the African-American community involved in every place where we put up markers, because if this is just another celebration of the Confederacy, like it was 50 years ago in the midst of the Civil Rights Movement, then this whole thing is just going to crash. This is a really a teaching moment, to use that phrase, for a public history institution. For one thing, to say to everybody that we're not just one of these places that just simply celebrates, when we say our past, what we really mean is white history, as so many places like historical societies do. So that's one of the things we're trying to do, is to change the way we talk about the war. And this is a page we borrowed from Gary Gallagher. If you've read Gary's works, you know that he really stresses the idea of getting away from a union. Well, what does that mean when you fought for the union? I fought for the North. We like to say, what does that mean? You like cold weather and you don't like grits? What does it mean you fought? <laughs> I fought for the North. I fought for the South. The South, we can somehow wrap our minds around that because we, seem, we somehow seem to, to mean that it was about the slave-holding states when you say the South. We put a marker up in the small town of Quitman where there was a white-led slave insurrection. It was anti-Confederate by way of trying to tell the story of anti-Confederate activity in the white South, that Southern didn't mean Confederate. The first thing we did was survey all the existing, all 919 historical markers in Georgia dealing with the Civil War, and almost every one had to do with some minute military engagement that even as a trained historian with a PhD, most, I couldn't understand most of it. Because that was the way the Civil War was thought about in the 1950s when the state put these up. The whole idea of what history was, and especially the Civil War, but particularly in the aftermath of Brown versus Board of Education, you would never talk about a slave uprising. You wouldn't talk about blacks in combat. You wouldn't talk about anti-Confederate activity. You wouldn't do any of those things. So we're trying to tell stories that haven't been told. As someone said, our marker program is really repositioning what markers are about because markers were never about getting people to stand on new ground and to think about the past differently. They were about celebrating. And that, I think, is one thing that the public often has a problem with when you really are trying to get them to understand that historians interpret the past. They always just simply want the facts, as if facts are these rocks over there that you go and pick up and you build something with and you say, well, there it is. There's history. 
we compiled a bunch of facts and that tells a story. Well, we all know that you selectively choose facts. Historians interpret the past and that's something that a public history institution has to do as well, is really try to instill the idea that everybody, historians 50 years ago, interpreted the past. The other thing we get hit with is you're just being politically correct. You're trying to make people feel good about their past now. I like to point out that these same people adhere to the lost cause interpretation, which was the first politically correct movement. Because by the 1890s, it was no longer politically expedient for the Civil War to have been about slavery. So they simply repositioned it. It wasn't about slavery. It was about states' rights. Well, look at Georgia's Declaration of Causes. States' rights is only used to condemn Massachusetts for allowing African Americans to vote. This is something Georgia said that the federal government should never have allowed. The federal government, in fact, it says in that document, needs to be strengthened to enforce existing laws. So again, urging people to go back and look at the original documents to see what people said in 1861, not 1885, not 1890, when it was no longer politically expedient for the Civil War to have ever been about slavery. And I think this is one of the hardest things, because that obviously is the battle we fight all the time. It's not about slavery. You're saying horrible things about my ancestors when you say that. And again, my response is, but they didn't have a problem with it. The problem is ours. Look at what they said. The hardest thing I think for us to grasp now is, these people thought the world and the future would be better if slavery existed in it. They wanted to preserve for their children and their grandchildren. Much as I like to point out, Senator Richard Russell did in the 1950s. We were once going to put a marker up about him and insisted on putting all of his activities that were anti-civil rights. The Russell Foundation in Georgia raged a huge stink and said, you can't do that. That's not part of his legacy. And I said, he would have said that was the main thing he was fighting. The world will be better 50 years from now, he would have said, if segregation still exists. And so I think trying to get people to be comfortable with that, we don't have to like it, but they were not ashamed of it. They were quite frank about the fact. Alexander Stevens stood right in Savannah and said the Confederacy is founded upon the notion that the black man is not equal to the white man. We reject the notion put forth in the Declaration of Independence. We reject, that's why it's called the cornerstone. The cornerstone of the Confederacy, he says, is to reject that. The fatal flaw of the United States is the idea that somehow we're all going to be equal. We are not. And the Confederacy is built upon that. We're putting up a marker to that, too. So this is really a way that we feel like we can make a difference because there's something about somehow, particularly we've noticed um, in, in, in markers that we put up in largely African-American communities, they come out as a body and embrace this. Finally, you're telling, our, there's something about seeing your history, as someone said, even though sometimes they're called derisively history on a stick. There's something about seeing your history in something that people feel like is going to be there for years and years and years and years and years, because there's something official about that, if you will. The other thing we've tried to do is educate the press a little bit, and we've gotten an awful lot of press about this. I have two minutes. We've appeared in newspapers up and down the East Coast, all over the country, because somehow this is a new thing that we're trying to do in being out front and leading the way 
on this. But one of the things we've noticed is that when the press wants to talk to us, they also then want to balance it by having someone, say, from the Sons of Confederate Veterans then talk as well. It's amazing to me that somehow there's supposed to be two sides to this story. Um, you don't, it seems to me, always invite David Duke when you want to talk about the Holocaust so that he can give the other side of the story. <laughs> but somehow, we want to invite people who want to tell you, they want to sit there, we've all seen it on CNN and any of these places where these people come and talk about, it wasn't about slavery. My grandfather didn't own any slaves, therefore, it couldn't be about slavery. Lincoln was a racist, and if he was a racist, it couldn't have been about slavery. We have to get beyond that. There really weren't two sides to this, and, and I hope that somebody else can pick this up. Maybe Gary will. I know in his new book he's going to. But I think the idea that somehow there's a moral equivalency, that's been the hardest thing for, I think, Southerners to deal with, and that public history institutions, I think, have the hardest time pushing through and getting people to see really what the Civil War was all about. But it's time we're able to stand and see it as they saw it in 1860, get through the romantic haze, get through somehow the, 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 the politics that are still attached to it, and see it for what it was. Thank you.